The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, come to you and bring you information in healthcare that you need to know so that you can advocate for yourselves and for your family. We um, are talking about the issues that doctors used to talk about among themselves in doctors' lounges all over the country before they became targets for censorship, but that's another story altogether. But what we do is we... um, uh, we are standing for uh, truth in in uh, reporting healthcare issues, and our show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. Um, our organization stands for um, healthcare freedom for every American so that they could make decisions for themselves and not have somebody else making those healthcare decisions for them. And the decisions could be made between them and their doctors. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation also stands for the doctor-patient relationship, which is being undermined and destroyed on a daily basis by policies that do not favor patients. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation at www.d, the number four, pcfoundation.org, that's d4pcfoundation.org, is an important organization fighting for you and for your health care rights. So please go to our website and make any contribution whatsoever. There's no amount that's too small, nor any amount that's too large, and this will allow us to continue doing this show and uh, doing the work that we do around the country. Um, it's sort of like Radio Free Europe for um, for healthcare. So today um, I am going to talk about um, what transpired on Tuesday. Tuesday was election day and in some states around the country, and it really um, uh, was only uh, two states that has pretty much um, gotten the attention of the media and they've become nationalized races, and that was in Virginia and in New Jersey, New Jersey, um, a uh, historically uh, blue state, despite the fact that uh, they've had some Republican governors in the past uh, 20 years, and Virginia, which was uh, um, regarded as a purple state, but has been uh, solidly blue for the last 10 years. And the uh, events in uh, New Jersey... Um, were uh, really pretty pretty remarkable where there was a governor race that was decided by less than one percentage point. But in Virginia, the results there were earth-shattering where uh, the um, prior incumbent governor who was now running for re-election was um, defeated 
um, as was the lieutenant governor, as was the uh, the attorney general, and it was a clean sweep across the board in Virginia. Um, the media is looking at this. Um, depending on where you get your news from, different ways. Um, And it is really um, quite quite an unbelievable uh, um, uh, result. Um, It is something that many people uh, predicted um, was liable to happen because of the policies of a... uh, um, of the uh, of a single uh, party controlling um, both houses of Congress and the White House, and um, and so the the real question is: Is this a, a, just a little tremor, as the um, the left leaning media wants you to believe, or is this an earthquake, like the right leaning media wants you to believe? And I'll let you judge for yourselves what what this um, these results represent. But it has tremendous implications with regard to health care, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Um, the uh, the uh, statement that was issued from the uh, White House and the statements that have been made directly from uh, President Biden state that the reason why Virginia went the way it did was because they didn't pass enough of their agenda. And because they did not, people were disgusted, they were angry, and they either stayed home or they voted um, against the Democrat who is running in Virginia, and um, and that's that's the position that they're taking. The agenda that uh, Biden was alluding to was his multi-trillion-dollar package that was an infrastructure package that was initially bipartisan until it became. Um, a partisan issue uh, because it didn't have enough in there and because the um, progressive caucus would not allow it to proceed forward unless they got the uh, Build Back Better plan uh, passed um, at the same time and they wanted to package them together. The Build Back Better plan um, started out as a $3.5 trillion package, which is probably even more than that. Um, So between the Build Back Better plan and the infrastructure plan, we're looking at um, social reengineering of America to the tune of $5 trillion that would create permanent um, entitlements that would change the entire um, face of government's role in people's lives. Now, what does this have to do with health care? Well, <clears throat> the, the um, Build Back Better plan has uh, 
is is has in it designs to change healthcare. <clears throat> and how are they going to do that? They're going to do this by expanding Medicare, not for the better, by the way. Um, they're going to um, convert um, the Medicaid system into a more federalized system, and they're going to um, increase the subsidies and double down triple down on the Obamacare exchanges and further strengthen Obamacare, which um, many people um, think is a good thing, but the uh, vast majority of people who truly understand and study health care think is a disaster. So I'm going to try to unpack all of that for you um, in in the next uh, um, 50 minutes. So what Build Back Better is, and by the way, you know, we, <laughs> Joe Biden has been accused of his entire career of plagiarism and, uh, and dating back to his law school days. And um, Build Back Better is plagiar- it has been plagiarized from the United Nations plan um, for uh, fixing uh, problems around the world. This is a United Nations um, uh, slogan or or, um, or uh, moniker, Build Back Better, and they, the Biden administration decided to appropriate that like he has appropriated so many things in his career. But um, I digress. The the um, the Build Back Better plan uh, discusses expanded Medicare, which will cover vision and hearing and dental, which it cu- currently does not include. And and I want you to hold on to that thought because you might hear that and say, "Oh gosh, well that's great. I really would like to get vision coverage and and dental coverage as a Medicare recipient." Well, that is not necessarily going to um, uh, be benefits that you as a senior are going to enjoy after all of these changes get put into place. And I'll come back to that a little bit later. Um, The Build Back Better plan calls for removing income and health limitations that are currently in place for Medicaid. So what they're going to do is they're going to increase the number of people who qualify for Medicaid and people who never did before. They're trying to swell the Medicaid roles. Why are they trying to do that? Because the more people who are on Medicaid, the less people on private insurance. Insurance is a industry that relies on numbers. If you have less people participating, then there is the same risk that's spread over fewer people. And that means that you've got to increase the cost for each individual who is participating in that insurance plan. So what that means is that when they take people out of the private insurance market, there are, f- there are fewer people 
that are accounting for risk and the costs are going to go up for those individual policies. And eventually, the cost will become so high, so unbearable, that people are not going to be able to afford it, and they're going to throw their hands up, and they're going to say, no mas, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to have to go into the government plan. Um, Employers are going to do that. They're going to stop um, offering... Uh, benefits to their employees, and uh, which which accounts for the majority of private insurance today. What else does Build Back Better do? Well, it gives the government bargaining power to negotiate the cost of prescription drugs with pharmaceutical companies. Now, that sounds like a really good idea, but let me um, let me go ahead and. Uh, get to that point right away. Um, The Galen Institute, Grace Marie Turner, and the people who work there uh, who write excellent articles, um, Doug Badger, Brian Blaze, I'm going to take some of the information that they've put out there um, because nobody says it better than them. And one of the pieces that Grace Marie Turner wrote had to do with putting a price on your life, which is what this business is with the government negotiating um, drug costs with um, pharmaceutical companies. And what the Democrats in Congress are furiously trying to do is to um, get these um, provisions enacted upon as soon as possible because the handwriting is on the wall for them. They see what's happening. They they view, even though publicly they, they say otherwise, they view Tuesday as a repudiation of their ideas, of their policies. And they know that the clock is ticking on them and they've got a limited amount of time to... Um, enact their policies. They're going to burn the house down because that's this is their only chance to do this. So with healthcare and drugs, what they're trying to do is they're trying to transform um, the American system into a European social welfare state. And um, <clears throat> this is they're trying to ram this through and healthcare is a central piece of this. What um, Nancy Pelosi wants to do is she wants the government to, quote, negotiate prescription drug prices for Medicare. Now, what does that mean? Well, according to what is written into the House bill that, that deals with this issue... It would peg Medicare drug prices to government-controlled prices in other developed countries, and then it would impose those um, same numbers to the entire U.S. drug market. So on the surface, that sounds, you know, like a good idea to most Americans, doesn't it? You know, the, <clears throat> the high drug prices in this country um, exist because in the socialized um, countries of Europe, um, where where uh, the government provides health care, and 
the government decides what drugs come in and what drugs um, are um, not going to be purchased, what drugs the people on their social programs can receive, and what drugs are inaccessible to them. These countries tell the drug companies how much money they're going to pay them for these drugs. They don't they don't negotiate. They say this is how much money we're willing to pay. And the drug companies want into those markets and they say, "Okay, fine. That will 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 accept what you're willing to give us." And what do they do? They pass along those costs to Americans. And so we foot the bill for so much about what's happening with drug costs around the rest of the world. Well, that's wrong also. But it's it's equally wrong to try to make America the same as as um, the European countries, because it does not benefit the patients in this country if we do so. Um Let's look a little bit more into what is happening with the pharmaceutical provisions um, that the Democrats are trying to ram through. Um, These drug price controls would basically result in um, uh, extracting $600 billion dollars from the pharmaceutical industry over the next 10 years. That's $60 billion annually. And this would help to pay for this big entitlement blowout. They're basically, um, we're talking about, as we said earlier, over $5 trillion in these new social programs. And... um, and so the $600 billion of it would be paid for from the pharmaceutical company. But um, in exchange, the pharmaceutical co- companies are going to be able to um, uh, stay in, in uh, uh, business in cahoots with the, the government. And so what the Democrats won't tell you is that these programs mean that the government – not doctors decide what drugs seniors or the expanded Medicare program, which would include others, um, other people other than seniors. It would um, it would uh, be the government that decides what drugs they could or couldn't get. And how do we know this? Why? Why is this? Is this again conspiratorial? Theories, conspiratorial, um, you know, uh, uh, words that that uh, are are being thrown out there to scare people. No, they're not. This is exactly what we see in in England, for example, where the government has put a monetary value on the on a year of perfect health. And it is about $42,000 per year. What does that mean? What it means is that they, the people who are in government, decide whether or not a new drug would cost more than $42,000. And if it does, then they measure how many quality years a 
patient has to live and decide whether or not a patient is going to be eligible for that drug. So take cancer, for example. If you have somebody who has cancer and may have a 20% chance of, of cure, and the drug costs $100,000, they, in, in England, may look at you and say, I'm sorry, but you have an 80% chance of dying from your cancer. This drug costs $100,000. You're ineligible to receive this drug through the National Health Service. Now, you can, if you have private insurance, which people, many people in England have, you can um, get your care in England or go out of the country and get your care, but you can't get it through the National Health Service. Well, if you um, make the system such that you can't go outside of the system, like you can't in Canada, or now Canada has been more liberalized, but previously that was the case, then you are basically um, given a fishing pole and a bottle of Jack Daniels and told, you know, go, go have a good time because, you know, the, you're, you've, you've got no chance. <clears throat> this mechanism <clears throat> for looking at age-adjusted life quality years is called quality adjusted life years and this is absolutely um, the the truth about what is happening in the national health system in Great Britain and this is what Nancy Pelosi and her minions are looking towards creating in the United States they want to transform our healthcare system into one that looks more like Western Europe with their socialized system and um, and and uh, drug controls, and so this is what you have to look forward to in a progressive run healthcare system. And what Build Back Better also does it eliminates the Trump era rebates. There, there was a re- rebate rule that was put into place that if drug companies are giving rebates, that it flows through to the consumers. Um, this is going to be eliminated in in the Build Back Better plan. And so patients will have higher out-of-pocket costs for expensive drugs. So many of these biological uh, biologics that you um, are... Um, just inundated with every evening on uh, TV commercials, Umera or uh, or um, you know all all of the others that that uh, you hear about are very very expensive drugs with rebate programs that flow back to patients, and those will disappear in the Build Back Better plan, and it's in the text of these bills. And so, before you just blindly say, well, this all sounds really good, you need to read the fine print, and you need to read between the lines. You actually have to read the bill. You can't pass the bill to find out what's in it later on. And this is all very dangerous for patients and very bad policy for America. 
a new report from the Congressional Budget Office showed that expanding the Affordable Care Act is poor public policy, and that's what Build Back Better wants to do. It wants to expand um, the the Affordable Care Act. Um, it includes increasing premium subsidies for exchange plans, in addition to new Medicare and new Medicaid programs, and it would cost $553 billion over 10 years. These are astounding numbers. These are, these are huge numbers. And it would, as I said earlier, crowd out private spending on private insurance. Let me give you some numbers because numbers to 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 do what the progressives want to do for health care makes absolutely no sense from a pure number standpoint. And if it doesn't make any sense, then you've got to ask yourself the question, why are they pushing it? And the answer is quite obvious. They're pushing it so that control of health care is transferred from you as a patient to the government who will make decisions about what people can and cannot do. Um, The uh, entire net coverage gain in this plan would occur through Medicaid. They want to increase the number of people on Medicaid, and we know, we know how horrible the Medicaid system is. There have been studies after studies after studies that have shown that outcomes, healthcare outcomes of people who don't have any insurance are superior to the people who are covered by Medicaid. And we know that people on Medicaid are users of emergency room services, urgent care services. They are not people who are making wise um, decisions about their health care. Um, and the, the costs go up because they have no skin in the game. They make, they have, there's no recourse for the decisions that they make. And consequently, the cost of the system goes up for everybody. So these these um, gains would r- result in four million more people on Medicaid coverage. Three point six million would be added with subsidized individual market coverage, but at the same time, a million would lose their unsubsidized individual market coverage, and two point eight million would lose their employer coverage. And so. At the end of the day, um, we would have 4.1 million who are gaining coverage, mostly by Medicaid, and that would be by the year 2031. And the CBO estimates the cost of that would be $77 billion in 2031 alone, at an average cost of $19,000 in new spending, additional spending, per newly insured patient. So this makes no sense from a financial standpoint, 
and it makes no sense from a public policy standpoint to insure more people because it does not work. And in the second uh, half of the show, I'm going to um, talk about the uh, the uh, the problems with this Build Back Better health care plan uh, and why they don't work. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the doctor's lounge, and we are talking about the political fallout from the Tuesday election, tremor or earthquake. And I'm of the opinion that this is an earthquake, and it is a wake-up moment for the country that the policies of the Biden administration and the Democrat-run progressive um, Congress um, is, uh, is dragging us down into a pit that we will have a difficult time digging our way out of. And I'm trying to explain the this um, the healthcare implications of these um, social programs, these over five trillion dollar bills that uh, that the Biden administration is trying to push um, Congress to pass. Um, in March, Congress substantially expanded their subsidies for most people who purchase insurance in the um, in the Obamacare exchanges. This is something that did not get a lot of attention in the uh, press. This was sort of quietly done. And these subsidies, interestingly enough, are paid directly from the government to health care insurers. So the giant insurance companies, which have made record profits over the last 15 years, are getting money directly from the U.S. Treasury, from U.S. taxpayers. And the expansion also increased the amount of subsidies for everyone currently receiving them, and um, it fixed the cap on eligibility so that wealthy households can now qualify for subsidies. So not only did it do that, but it made it less of a burden for people to have to pay for their health care. Um, so that that uh, previously, 
nobody could pay more than nine per nine point five percent of their of their uh, net um, income on health care, and that decreased to eight point five percent. And because they increased the eligibility caps, so it, it now exceeds more than 400% of the federal poverty limit, um, there is a perverse um, uh, type of um, incentive now for wealthy Americans to um, stop paying for private insurance and go on um, the Obamacare plans. This is exactly what the government is trying to um, to uh, uh, to create. They're trying to make it so that um, people will look at health care and view the government options as favorable financial decisions. So. The congressional Democrats are proposing to make these expanded subsidies that the uh, Congress passed in March permanent. They're not permanent. They're time-limited right now. And there's a big problem with that because most of the benefit would go to people who already had coverage. Wealthier households would benefit more than poorer ones. The benefits go directly to insurance companies. The poor subsidy design of this plan leads to increased premiums, increased prices, and wasteful spending. It will lead to employers dropping health care coverage. And the costs, as I've tried to explain to everybody, are astronomical. Let me try to go through a few of these items individually so that they're not just bullet points. So when I say that most of the benefit would go to people who already had coverage, of this new spending, 75% of it would substitute government spending for private spending. It means that people who already have insurance would simply get different insurance, government insurance, not new insurance. And so when the government is giving you something, there's less incentive of people to obtain value from their purchasing decisions. So that's why when people are on government-backed insurance, Medicaid, um, Obama plans where they don't pay anything and the government is paying all the premiums, people are going to take advantage and they're going to wastefully spend health care dollars. And what do I mean by that? People have a cold and they will go to the emergency room to get treated. And most people who are um, somewhat sophisticated realize that there is no treatment for the cold other than um, fluids and uh, symptomatic relief. But yet so many people show up in emergency rooms with a cold and they think that if they get antibiotics, they are going to get better when that's not the solution at all. But what that does, it wastes resources, it crowds out space in emergency rooms for people who need to be there 
and at a time when we are experiencing incredible shortages in our workforce thanks to perverse disincentives to work, which we're not going to get into today, um, using these healthcare resources inappropriately is, is just the wrong path for us to go down. Um, the um, wealthier households would actually benefit more than poorer households. So trying to... This, this is a, a, an example of the poor study design of this plan. Throwing everything out there, not thinking things through, and um, it, it's, again, with the, the, um, the exuberance, the zeal to, to suck up as much of the health care um, uh, coverage as possible into a government plan, they're not accomplishing what they really ought to be doing, which is a safety net or coverage for the people who don't have anything. And instead, they're trying to transform health care and make it into a government-run system. According to the CBO, 65% of the new exchange enrollees would have income that exceeds 400% of the federal poverty line, which is right now that limit for um, for the Obamacare subsidies. And that would mean $51,000 for a single individual and 106000 for a family of four. And... Um, the, of the new exchange enrollees, what they're trying to do by expanding the eligibility is that they are bringing in people who are exceeding the federal poverty level by um, as much as um, uh, 700% or more. 700% would be a family of four with an income of over $185,000. These are people that this plan is trying to bring in and to um, take away their private coverage and put into the government plan. And so the, 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 um, this new plan um, it it, uh, it benefits the, the wealthier people much more than it benefits the, the, uh, the poorer people because the poorer people are getting Medicaid and the wealthier people are, um, are people who already have insurance or who are paying high premiums for the Obamacare plans. And by the way, these plans, these these um, the costs um, for these plans are astronomical. Um, in in some parts of the country, a family of four um, would be paying fifty one thousand dollars a year in health care costs for the. Um, the second lowest cost plan, which is the silver plan. So the way that they get benchmarks in the Obamacare system 
is and decide what the subsidies are going to be is to look at what the benchmark plan is. And the benchmark plan is the second lowest cost plan on the exchange in that market. That turns out to be the silver plan. Now, if you look at Prescott, Arizona, which has the highest Obamacare plans in the country, that benchmark plan, that second lowest silver plan, costs a a family of four headed by a um, 60-year-old person who is the head of household, it costs $51,000. And so the subsidies are tied to the the amount of money that you will be making. So if you are at the 700% line of federal poverty line, you get less subsidies than somebody who's at 500%. But the point is that people who can afford insurance, who are getting insurance, who are paying for insurance, either themselves or through their employer paying for it, which is really indirectly them paying for the insurance, it will it will be transferred to the government. The government will um, give those people subsidies to um, make up for the fact that they are no longer getting their, their coverage from their employer, and they will be um, offsetting the increased prices of insurance that the insurance companies are um, charging. And why are they charging those high rates? Because they can. Because people are no longer paying for those premiums. It's the government that's picking up most of the tab on those plans. And because the insurance companies are getting their checks directly from the Treasury and from you, the taxpayers, there's no no sky's the limit for them. They'll just keep raising their prices. Um so, so this is, and I, I don't want to bore everybody with numbers because I've got pages and pages of numbers here that would just dizzy you and make you um, just sick to your stomach about how poorly the the system is designed. But the point is, the point is that. These plans run by the government would take away choices from you, the patients, and give those choices to the federal government. And it would, um, it would limit the health care that you're able to receive because the government is going to decide who gets what care, who gets what drugs, how much they're going to pay, and as a result, your care is going to suffer. Right now, a Medicaid card does not necessarily get you into a doctor's office. It just gives you the opportunity to make an appointment with a doctor if they even will accept Medicaid. The average weight for patients um, who are on Medicaid is exceedingly longer than it is for people on private insurance. And why is that? Because more people are, well, fewer people 
are um, fewer doctors are accepting patients who are uh, covered by Medicaid. And that means longer waits for those patients to see the doctors who will accept Medicaid. And so this is what happens when government-run programs um, will crowd out private insurance. When you have private insurance, you have better options. And that's what Build Back Better is trying to do. It's trying to crowd out private insurance and and fortify government-run programs. And there are better options. And we've covered those before. And you know, we will um, certainly cover them again. I wanted to spend the last bit of the show just talking to you. We, I mentioned about um, the kind of care that you get. And um, I had a very interesting um, conversation with someone close to me who's an expert on private equity. And, um, and I think that I'd like to explain what that means so that everybody understands this. So many of you out there already do, but I, I think that it's important for um, those who don't understand that your doctor is is owned either by a hospital or university, by a private equity firm, or they own themselves. They are privately held private practice. Those are the only the only options that are out there right now. And the um, the more layers of bureaucracy there are between you, the patient, and the doctor, means that your care is inferior to those people who get their care from people who are invested in the um, well-being of the patients. When people, when doctors work for entities, they are employed and they are beholden to the entity that employs them. They follow the orders, the marching orders of the Employers, if the employers tell them they need to see, um, they need to see uh, forty patients in a half a day instead of instead of thirty or twenty five, that means that you get less time with your doctor. If the employer says that you can't offer people a certain um, medication, or you can't prescribe or order a certain test then you don't get access to that through that doctor. Those are things that you need to understand. What is private equity? Private equity are firms, companies, businesses that have a pool of money and they uh, try to develop a business and enhance the value of the business and they um, will go ahead and when they get to a certain valuation, they will flip it. They will sell it to another interested party that wants to buy it because they think that they can make money off of, off of the, uh, off the business. 
And when you start looking at healthcare like that as a business where you can make money and you are looking to um, uh, increase the value so that you can you can profit from it, you have to really question whether or not that's where you want to be as a patient. And this is an important, uh, you know, I, I think this is an important discussion. <clears throat> and we'll have maybe a, a show that focuses entirely on this. But um, I'm bringing this up in this context of the the Biden plan, the Build Back Better plan, because all of these choices that we have, even private equity, are going to become less available. There will be fewer options when the government is controlling all of health care. And this is something that I have given a lot of thought to, <clears throat> and, and I constantly um, bring this up, and I ask people to think about this. Who owns your doctor? <clears throat> who, who is giving you health care? And in private equity, why, why I think that that's a bad idea and doesn't work is because the only way to make money in healthcare is well let, let's just back up the, the way that you make money from a business is to um, is to either sell more units or charge more for what you're you're selling or both and in healthcare you can't increase the cost you can't charge more than what you're uh, uh, for what you're providing because 95% of the care that doctors deliver is negotiated contracts with with insurers. And so that is pretty much set in stone. You can't raise your prices. You can, but that just means that you'll have more write-offs on your books. So the only way to make more money is either to cut your overhead which means downsizing or consolidating and making, uh, trying to squeeze more out of less, or to churn. What does churning mean? Churning means going ahead and doing procedures and doing um, providing services that you'll get reimbursed for that you may or may not. Um, necessarily need to do. They may be things that patients don't need, but if you are being measured, you're being judged by an employer who's cracking the whip at you and demanding more and more of you, then you are going to be um, incentivized to churn, to order more tests, to do more unnecessary surgery, to do things that you don't necessarily need to do that are not necessarily in the interests of the patients. And so so that's the only way that businesses can make money in healthcare. Now, um, there was there um, when this private equity craze of buying up physician practices and rolling them up and consolidating them and making them into big 
private equi- private equity held um, uh, spe- uh, specialty groups, multi specialty groups. They believed that they could make a profit in the ways that I've just gone through with you, and they they may be able to do that in the first generation, the first iteration. You know, there's so many medical practices that are poorly run, that are inefficient, and they, and you can get better efficiencies. But once you've achieved that, once you've purchased those practices and rolled them up and you've done what needs to be done to make them work better, increasing the number actually doesn't increase the profitability. It does in the net value, but it doesn't necessarily make those practices more profitable, more efficient when you break them down. But when you aggregate more and more assets, it makes them look more attractive to the subsequent buyer. And that's how this is. It's almost like a Ponzi scheme. The first, the first generation of doctors sold their practices. They got their money up front. That's their buyout. They, you know, it, it really benefits older doctors, not younger doctors. But then the next time that that private equity firm wants to sell what they purchased, they've got to do more and more to get. Uh, they have to provide um, uh, fewer and fewer services. Um, do more and more of them on an individual basis to make the money to generate the revenue to make to keep their valuation up so that they can sell it to the next buyer and so on and so forth and in healthcare that just does not work and when we get to a government run socialized system this certainly doesn't work and so that's that's an important point to to uh, uh, discuss an important point to bring out. Doctors who work for hospitals or universities, they too have um, have people that they are answerable to, and uh, and they have to uh, uh, produce in order to uh, show value. Now, why do hospitals and universities? Why do they? Why do they succeed? Well, they succeed because they have a different arrangement. 65% of them are non-for-profit entities, meaning that they don't pay taxes. And so they are able to just continue to generate money and get bigger and more powerful and hire more doctors and, and accumulate a greater share of the health care uh, pie. And... Uh, and once again, the patients are on the short end of that exchange because they um, are uh, they're getting care in a place where uh, they are uh, either getting churned or they are uh, getting um, they're getting uh, less attention than they need to get. Now, today, it's virtually impossible for a doctor to hang out a shingle and to go into practice unless you're in primary care. Direct primary care, as you've heard me talk about on this show for years, is the answer to um, the problem 
of uh, high cost of health care and the um, and the depersonalization of health care for uh, so many Americans and um, and the Biden build back the Biden build back better plan a lot of bees there um, will has no room for individual doctors for doctors who um, want to hang out a shingle or for large privately held practices that want to focus on patient centered uh, care. And um, and so I will bring this full circle in the last 30 seconds and tell you that, that the Build Back Better plan is a way to take away choices from individuals regarding health care. It is a dangerous plan. It does not um, succeed with the goals that they state. It is a Ponzi scheme. It's a it's a bait and switch for uh, government control over health care and taking away choices from individuals. The bigger the government, the less important the individual. And I'll leave it at that. And I thank you for listening to the Doctor's Lounge today. And I'll be back with you. Um, actually, in four weeks, I will be uh, not here. In two weeks, I'll be away at a meeting being a doctor. So uh, thank you for being with us. And join my co-host, Dr. Scott, next week on the Doctor's Lounge. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.